Hello and welcome to Modern Homemakers. I'm Leah Parker and I'm here with Donna Otto, podcaster of 17 plus years, yeah. ministry leader of 37 years, yeah. 37 years, right? And we are wrapping up this time of podcasting with Donna. And um, today we're talking about Psalms, but wanted to remind everyone as we are moving towards the end, I guess this is the middle of November. We still have a couple Advent candles left. And this year, Advent starts on December. No. Yes. December 3rd. 3rd. So early this year. So early this year. Order your candles while we still have them. Get them while you can. That's exactly right. I've noticed that the girls have been buying more than one. And I think they're smart. Um, I want to say thank you. And Leah does not have the privilege of seeing all this, but the notes and kind things that you have been sending to say farewell, adieu, thank you, how do I get your materials later, how can I find podcasts, kind words, I, I don't want to repeat them, they're, they're very self-grandizing, but thank you. It means a great deal to me. I love especially my friend in Japan who writes with some regularity in that I know you're the gal who sent us the first acknowledgement that we were in Japan. So thank you so much. I promise not to say your names on air, but I give the Lord much, much thanks for all of you and pray that you will understand what that means uh, by way of encouragement. We all need encouragement, no matter who we are or where we live. And I'm talking about the Psalms because the Psalms have been a very, uh, I was thinking about this word earlier and I've lost it, but they've been strange to me. But I went through a period of, no, stay away from the Psalms. Don't don't open that up. In the first place, it was a season when I thought, okay, I'd like to read through a whole book. And then the Gospels had been they told me that the Gospels, if you read through seven chapters every night of the Gospels, you can read the, the Gospels 30 times in one month or some wonderful seven times in one month or something like that. And so I was reading the Gospels, and that was wonderful, learning about the Gospels, repeating the Gospels. And then they, there was this idea for reading and studying. But when you get to the Psalms, there were 150 of them. And so I was a young woman, and I thought, no. I, I'm just staying away from the Psalms. And then there were a lot of, they, they kind of scared me. The language was awkward. But really what made me afraid, as I look back on it now, was the intimacy. I felt a closeness to the characters uh, that I read about in the Psalms who all led me to the one true living God. And that closeness scared me. I didn't know what to do with that. Um, most of you who listen to this podcast know of my rather unusual upbringing and, and um, young years of life, and so it isn't surprising that I had difficulty with closeness. Like most of you, I got chocolate candy bars for things I memorized in Sunday school. I, many years after I became an adult, 
and started some serious dental work. I wrote one of my Sunday school teachers and said, all those chocolate bars have ruined my teeth. I think I'll send you a bill. And she laughed so hard because I memorized a lot of scripture because they gave me candy bars when I was finishing memorizing them. And certainly Psalm 23 was one of them. As I began to teach God's word, I would suggest to people to read Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm. And I would suggest that because the entire psalm is about the word, and it uses a variety of words for the word. And it just reminds you over and over as you read every verse how important the word of God is to us and how we need to keep it close to our hearts. There are those dreadful pleas of David and the fear that David had and the seemingly endless situations that he found himself in. He was always in trouble. Uh, they were hiding him. He was running from. He was the king ruthlessly. He was there was always something about precious David. And of course, I married to a David. And for years, I would say to him, aren't you glad that your name is David and your name is in the Bible? And he would look at me very queerly, like, no, it just didn't occur to him to relate to the fact that his name was David. And David, the most written about, even over Jesus in all the world, David. And then there were words like Selah, what does that mean? And what did it have to do with what I was reading in my life? And there were, as I said, so many chapters, and there were so many brutal wars, and there was all that poemy stuff, you know, the emotional writing like poems and our um, sentiments of our heart. And happy are those who take refuge in him. And I remember the first time I read that thinking, refuge. Am I at war? Am I taking refuge? And in Christ, who I can't see, it was just daunting to me. And then I found that the Psalms were very easy to make your own. And I'm going to read a couple of verses from Psalm 37, the first, first few verses of Psalm 37. Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious because of the wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herbs. What consolation that gave to me. Trust in the Lord, do good, and you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light, and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I have these several of these verses that I'm reading, just portions of them, in green and pink for decades. Be still before the Lord, pink, and wait patiently for him in green. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. I can still remember the shiver up my spine. When I read that, I thought, well, that's me. That, 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 that do not fret because of the wicked. I, I, I was fretting. Do not be envious of the wrongdoers because the wrongdoers seem to be getting ahead. Do you, do you ever think those things like that? And then you say, well, where is their comfort? Well, the next verse says, trust in the Lord and you do good. Don't worry about everybody else. Trust in the Lord and you do good. 
there was much there to help me through my own personal troubles, not only help me, but cause me to rejoice and bringing thanksgiving to this desired truth that I longed. And then I got to reading the first time through. I can still remember reading the first time through and thinking, hot dog, 150 chapters. I finished it. And, you know, some of the Psalms are very short, a few verses only. And I got to Psalm 136. Do you all know what that Psalm is? How many times does it say in that Psalm, the repeated, the repeated, the steadfast, 136, the repeated line, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And then comes the line, For his steadfast love endures forever. 26 lines. You can pick any one of them. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. The pace that I was reading the Psalms was much too fast, and I had to learn to slow down that that pace. So why the Psalms? Why do I want to talk about the Psalms? There are many reasons, but two that are really important to me. The first is that the Psalms provide a wide variety of topics and themes, and I think that's very important to a teacher to be able to say to an audience, there is something in the Psalms for you, because there is. There's a Psalm, there's a message, there's a voice to be spoken to not only you individually, but to you at this point in series in your life. The Psalm says, I have been accustomed to call this book, I think not appropriately, but an anatomy of the soul. For there is not just one emotion of which anyone can be conscious of. It's represented myriads and myriads of devotions, emotions, I should say. And if you look in the mirror, you'll see yourself. But if I look in the mirror, I won't see you. I'll see myself. And so the Psalms have a way of helping me be accustomed to a book that's appropriate for the anatomy of my soul. And the anatomy of my soul, where my soul is today. Do you ever notice that? Some mornings you wake up, and the next day you think, what happened? What happened? Where? What happened to that adoration I felt? It, it, it's our emotions. And one of the things the Word of God tries hard to encourage us to do is not to live by our emotions, but to come to His Word in an even-keeled way to receive what you can receive from him and from these psalms. Now, I'm going to give you a very quick list. But in the psalms, you can find adoration, praise. Occasionally, I'll pop in the number of times. So I want to say in the psalms, you can find adoration 65 times, awe, 99 times, praise, thanksgiving, singing, comfort, Lament, 63 laments. Have you needed all 63 on some days? Waiting on God. What to do when life is not paying any sense to you at all, making any sense to you? Repentance, 73 times. Confession, truth, petition. Growing old, there are 86 
mentions of growing old in the Psalms alone. And while you may be 40 or 50 or 60, you are all growing old. And while I'm edging into these late 70s, I am growing old and find comfort from the Psalms. 71 times it talks about the love of God's Word. And as I already mentioned, Psalm 119. And I don't know how many verses are in Psalm 119. I'm just going to flip my page so I can tell you that. It's a lot. I know that. Yes, it goes on for pages. Let's see. 176 verses in Psalm 119. The second thing I think that the psalm does that's paramount to us is it points us to Jesus. Now, I know the psalm is the Old Covenant. So how does it point us to Jesus? The obvious messianic elements of the psalms they're just everywhere it's very evident as you read them as jesus is explained what it will be like after his resurrection in luke 24:14 and i'm turning to read that to you because we hear jesus saying i had to do these things to so fulfill the will and the law of god 24 chapter 24 14. Half on one page, half on the next page. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. They were discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were not there and could not recognize him. I don't know why, but I have written the wrong, I have written the wrong reference down but the the passage is that he had to suffer and die, quote-unquote, so that everything written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms would be fulfilled. Jesus is telling the people who did have some access to the Old Covenant that he had to go through this his disciples said, no, you can't leave us. And no, this cannot happen to you. They shuddered over it. And as you know, Peter among them, they, they cut bait and left him. But he was certain because he not only knew the old covenant, he knew what his father had called him to do so that the old covenant would be true. Now, the Psalms is the old covenant. Is the old covenant relevant today? All the scripture is relevant for us today. And when I talk about the Psalms and their importance, they point out over and over who the Messiah was, what the Messiah had to do to fulfill his uh, mission here on earth and to prepare for the last return. As useful as it is to read each Psalm individually, the Psalter reveals something much more profound. With each new book, hope for the establishment of the new Davidic kingdom grows. If you have doubts, keep in mind that Jesus is described as the anticipated king of Psalm 16 in Hebrews 1.3. Advent and Lenten can be drawn entirely from the Psalms. The preaching of Jesus on the Psalms is something that is regularly found in the New Covenant. The search for personal and um, individual blessings is common to all men. There is no one that desires to do well 
or to hate, to do badly. Now, this is spoken by Martin Luther. Everybody wants to do well. Everybody wants to be happy. It's common to all of us. There's no one who wakes up and with a desire of doing badly. I, I want to I wanna hate things. I want to do badly. I don't want to succeed. That, that's not our place. Our natural um, instincts is to do well. And I want to draw our time to Psalm 1. And the words used in whatever version you're looking at will be either be happy or blessed happy or blessed. Plato and others offered the fact that happiness was something could be found, but it could often be lost. Uh, I was looking at some quotes from modern people who use the word happy, and Sheryl Crow, do you know who Sheryl Crow is? She says, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd probably have to disagree with that postmodernist. And when David and I were courting, I, I was so googie-eyed in love with that man, and we laughed so hard. To this day, there are certain things that David remembers my saying, and honestly, when he says them, I have this cringe inside of me. I think, was I 13? Or, or, who, who was living in my brain or my heart? But I remember we are walking hand-in-hand hand on Lake Michigan, the city of Chicago, and I look up at him and I say, dreamy-eyed, are you happy? Because I'm blissfully happy. We're in my favorite place in the world, the lake in Chicago with the skyline. And here's this precious human being holding my hand. And he looks at me in that philosophical way because he is a brilliant man, truly a brilliant man. And he says, what is happiness? <laughs> You know, the philosophers have been trying to define it. And he went on and on. And it is like a joke that's lasted for 50 years. Are you happy? Or he'll say it to me now, are you happy? And of course, we have the natural response. But what we do to find happiness is not the way that God calls us to find happiness. So I want to read to you just the six verses of Psalm 1. Happy are those Blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of the scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. They are the trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither. In all they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, if you say to me, Donna, that's very harsh, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. This is the first of the Psalms. I find it inordinately important. Of 150 Psalms, this one is the first. It's the leader of the Psalter. It's the one we should learn, we should memorize, should be ours. Not what you can learn. Happiness doesn't come from inside of us. Blessed are the happy who do not follow the advice of the wicked. What advice do you follow? Who do you listen to? 
Is it a TV show? Is it a commercial? Is it a wonderfully capable um, individual who speaks in beautiful and brilliant language, but they don't speak the words of God? What he says to us, blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Yeah, but they've proven to me that their investment plan will reward an enormous amount of interest, 13%. That's what the couple told my husband and I. We had suggested that he seek counsel, and they did. But they did not seek counsel from a man or a woman who understood the word of God, they sought counsel for someone who was going to make a lot of money on their transaction. Hmm. That's the person that the scripture describes, are the wicked, who are like chaff, and the wind drives them away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Have you ever heard someone tell a story about a, a couple who were careful, thoughtful. They never made much, but they followed a plan that worked for their lives, and they had savings and investment and money to live on, but they didn't blow it around. And then at the end of their lives, they gave away these great amounts of money because they had lived a life that they felt was within their means and what God had called them to truly do. My father was a gambler. He loved to gamble. And he would drag me with him, literally drag me with him, as a young adult, uh, teenager, late 18-year-old teenager. I remember going with him alone to Las Vegas. And he was at the gambling table like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There was nothing to describe him but that. He was wildly enthusiastic and, oh, and you you stand right here next to me and then I'm going to put it on a four and the four wins and you're good luck charm. Don't move. Did you, did you move? Stay right here. And then a few more throws and then he lost and then he turned on you like, what did you do? What's going on? Well, truly people, truly happy people are often people who don't do any of the following. They don't have affairs. They don't have one more drink. They don't eat more. They don't gamble more. If anything, they do none of those things because that kind of happiness is fleeting and it can be taken away, as my father experienced many times. But here in this first Psalms, he says to us that we are to delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. I'm getting close to not having many shows to talk to you about your lifestyle and to encourage you to take this word seriously, the word of God. But here is this simple statement. And on his law, they meditate day and night. Those are the happy ones. Those are the blessed ones. The one Only one thing in the entire universe that you can count on is God. God is safe enough. He's available enough. He will heal you. He will bring assurance to your love and to your life. He is the only one that can be 
the center and the rock in his word is full of it. Direction and how to live a life like this. When our grandchildren were born, the boy first, Samuel, and then my granddaughter, Eliana, I had asked the Lord to give me what became a whisper. And he hadn't told me how I was going to speak this to our grandchildren, but uh, a verse. And so Samuel was born, and I took a verse out of the book of Samuel, and I began to say it to him in his ear from the day he was born. And so that little tradition of saying it in his ear, but sometimes he would say, say it out loud, Donna, say it out loud. So I'd say it out loud. And when Eliana was born, the same was true. And I took the verse from Psalm 1, verse 3. Oh, I'm sorry. I knew I'd be emotional. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. And I have been sending my granddaughter little notes with trees on them. And I drew a tree in my Bible, of which she autographed her name. And we talk about the trees, and we look at the trees. And I remind her that the trees are steady because they have been planted by streams of water, and they yield fruit in the season, and their leaves do not wither. The Word of God is full of encouragement for you and for your family. I have to tell you that in my lifetime, I, I feel like the only thing that I ever went too far in idolizing, worshiping, saying it was so important, was my family. Now, it's very calculated and very clear why. I didn't have a family. My family was very broken, and I wanted a family. I wanted to be a husband and wife, and I wanted six children. The Lord knew I did not need six children. Every time I'm around someone with five or six children, I look and I take a deep sigh, and I think, oh, I was not meant to have six children, but that's what I wanted until the Lord gave me one, and I couldn't have any more. But as my family grew, I found places that I was nudged by God, that I put my family first. I taught for the last 37 years about the role of a wife and a mother. And a mother's role is enormous in the life of her child. But her child cannot be more important than her God. I know I've said that many times, but I want to remind you that even in the good things, in the best things, in the children that are given to us by God, who we want to return to God because we have encouraged them to follow Jesus, they are still not our first priority. Closeness to Christ comes first. And the way to become closer to Christ is keeping your nose, big or small, in the book in the Word of God, and I want to encourage you to be adding the Psalms to your regular readings. In the next few weeks, I'm going to help you learn how to pray the Psalms, how to take a Psalm and pray through it in a way that the words will have different significance to you, and that you will make this center place of the scripture, 150 Psalms, a place that's central in your life by adding the Psalms to your regular 
reading of the word. Lord, I ask you for all who are listening today, if your spirit is nudging them and reminding them that the word of God is done on Sunday or at couples group or maybe at women's Bible study, but not done personally, not with a plan and a purpose to devour the word of God, to understand it and know it. It's not just for teachers to know, Lord. It's for all of us to know. It's for those of us who've always wondered what would happen after